0: Good morning. Good morning, peace be with you, and also with you, oh we can do better than that, do again. Peace be with you. And also with you. Thank you. Okay, today's reading, <clears throat> excuse me, are Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 and 10 the conversion of Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, three days' walk. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on the sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Our second scripture is Mark, chapter 1, 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus calls his first disciples. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for people of God. God.
1: Thank you, Alan. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer? Creator God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And though I may fumble and my words may come out wrong, I know you will find a way to use them anyways, so that your people may see the calling you have placed on their hearts and within our community. Keep on calling us, Lord. as long as it takes. In your name we pray. Amen. This week we continue our journey towards becoming the people of God, which is a sermon series crafted for us by the United Methodist Board of Discipleship. Now we know that becoming the people of God is something that we are born to do and something that we never stop pursuing in all the great and small actions of our daily lives. We take steps towards becoming the people of God as we grow in relationship with God and with one another, and as we pursue the kingdom of God in all that we do. This week, our journey comes with not one, but two stories side by side for us, And the first is one that we feel we probably know by heart from our Sunday school days, the story of Jonah. But our text today comes from just after that epic story of running from God and being swallowed by a whale. Today's text comes from Jonah's final surrender to God's will after he's been coughed up onto dry land. It took a few times uh, for the word of the Lord to stick with Jonah. So he called a second time. And this time Jonah listened to the call that God placed on his heart and he shared the word. But Jonah doesn't even give an ultimatum to the people of Nineveh. Just the bare bones fact. Forty days and the city of Nineveh will be overthrown And the image that comes to mind every time I read that is one of those street corner preachers that most people will cross the street to avoid. Who has seen one of those in real life? Raise a hand. Me too, right? (laughs) Now, I think that Jonah takes on that role, but there are a few crucial differences. He doesn't give people the option to change their fate. He just tells them over and over again, It's done, you don't stand a chance. And I think street corner preachers really love to use our gospel reading from today as, well, a threat. But it still gives you the option, you know? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I don't know if you've ever stood too long in front of one of those hellfire and brimstone types, but I've seen that they have a pretty consistent MO across the board. Uh, They seem hell-bent, pun intended, on scaring everyone with the coming of the Lord being at hand, that the Lord coming near will mean judgment and destruction and suffering for anyone who isn't doing or saying the right things, which just gives me the willies. But in my observation, it also doesn't seem to have a lot of buy-in from the people listening or avoiding listening, as it were. But both Jonah and our street corner preachers seem to be missing something at the core of God's character that we see in our scriptures. That while there is a God who judges and seems like a cold executioner of our crimes, that that image of God is constantly checked by the God of mercy and even the God who changes our minds and their mind. We see this God present throughout our scripture, but perhaps most notably in the book of Jonah, where we see the people of Nineveh appealing to God as one who relents, one who changes. They appeal to a God who repents when confronted with the consequences of their own actions. It is the people and even the king of Nineveh who take their repentance into their own hands with no help, mind you, from the very reluctant prophet Jonah who I think would rather see them suffer, if I'm being really honest. But those people believed and everyone participated in changing their behavior almost immediately. They believed that if they changed their ways, if they changed their minds, they could change the heart and mind of God. They believed that their repentance could lead God to reconsider. Now, before I start to be accused of blasphemy or heresy, something I try to avoid as a matter of precedent, uh, consider with me what the word repent and repentance really means. We have a connotation probably in part from our street corner hellfire preachers screaming at everybody to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, that it means something hard and terrible. But what is that word actually meant to mean for us? How is repentance supposed to work on this journey towards becoming the people of God? I think the struggle that you and I face is that the word repent in our minds is often associated with sin or doing the wrong thing, and that negative connotation actually cuts us off from the word repent's full meaning, its deeper meaning. The word repent is translated in the New Testament from two ancient Greek words strung together. Noio, which means to understand, to think, or perceive, and meta, which is a placement word that usually means something like afterwards or hereafter. And when we string them together, we get metanoia, which gets translated as repent, but it actually might be more accurate to translate that word as reconsider. It literally means to think differently, to change our minds, to take a different internal route. Who thought they were coming to Greek class today? Nobody, (laughs) but you are. (laughs) Now I think we have this image in our minds of repentance being this begging on our knees, sackcloth and ashes, woe is me for I am a worm of the dirt a kind of moment, and for the people of Nineveh, that is exactly what it looks like. But that isn't what repentance always looks like. The truth that we see in Jonah and in Exodus 32 and in Amos 7 is that when God has threatened destruction, even God is able to take a different route. Even God is able to reconsider. The actions of the people can change the heart and mind of God and move it towards greater mercy. When we participate in this sacred act of changing our minds, of changing our internal mechanisms and decide to do something different, we aren't just listening to God. We are imitating God. Repentance isn't just something that the people of God are called to do, it is something that we witness in the holy character of God. To change directions, to offer more mercy and more grace than there was before, to change course with the goal of love in mind, that is repentance, that is reconsidering. And we have seen it even exemplified in the lives of our disciples in our gospel text today. At the very beginning of Christ's ministry, he formats that phrase that we hear shouted by angry voices on street corners, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. But when we see that in action, there isn't any shouting. There are no angry fingers and faces, which is a preference for me, personally. It gets done with gentleness. It's an invitation that's offered. We see Jesus calling his first disciples from the lake shore, which is one of my favorite stories because it's the story of a stranger meeting strangers and inviting them on an even stranger mission to become the fishers of men. In contrast to our boy Jonah, who needs a few pokes before taking up his calling of the Lord, uh, Simon, Andrew, James, and John didn't need a second call to drop everything. They heard the call to change their minds and change their lives and take a different path the very first time. And they dropped their nets and followed him. This is repentance in its own way. It's a change of mind. Being fishermen wasn't a sin by any stretch of the imagination, but they understood that there was something else for them here. They understood the truth of Christ's call, that the kingdom of God is at hand and it's yours for the taking. You just have to change directions. You just have to offer more mercy and more grace than there was before. You just have to Change your internal course with the goal of more love in mind. The concept of the kingdom of God is one that you're going to hear about for the rest of your life and that you have been hearing about for most of your life if you've been in church. And it takes place no less than 70 times in the New Testament alone. And I will say it is one of the most confusing and tempting concepts in our Christian life. And before I dive even deeper into that, a small aside for us for a moment. Um, The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used very interchangeably throughout our scriptures. And if you would like to hear more about why those two phrases mean the same thing but are used separately, I would love to tell you After church, because y'all did not sign up for a theology geek rant today, you signed up for worship, so if you want to know, I will talk to you about it in the back, but I will leave that to another day. Back to the topic at hand, the kingdom of God. You hear it a lot. I talk about it a lot. We talk about it all the time, and there is a temptation for many Christians to consider the kingdom of God to be a future thing that happens in some mystical heaven beyond our comprehension. But Christ doesn't seem to think so. I think Christ would disagree with that statement. And for that matter, John the Baptist also would stand in uh, opposition to that idea. Before Christ is even present, John is shouting in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus references the kingdom of God constantly as something that is happening around us or within us in our everyday lives. When Jesus sends out his disciples to spread the word, he tells them that Matthew, in Matthew verse uh, chapter 10, verse 7, to preach the kingdom of heaven and preach that it is at hand. In Luke 17, verses 20 through 21 Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, when this kingdom of God is actually going to come to play, probably because they keep hearing him say it's at hand. And that sounds a bit like a threat to them. But Jesus responds to the Pharisees saying that the kingdom of God isn't something you can see on the outside with signs and signals and set events. That's not how the kingdom of God comes to play. It is something that's within you. Now, some translations will try and phrase it as among you or in your midst, but you're going to get one more ancient Greek lesson. Just one, I promise. And it's the phrase that Jesus uses in Luke 17, verses 21. It's actually pretty clear. It's esten human entos. You want to try saying that with me, folks? Estin human Entos, that means I am within you. Inside, there's no getting away from that. The kingdom of God is within us. But what is it? What is the kingdom of God that Jesus just can't seem to stop talking about? I'll tell you, there's a lot of scholarly debate But uh, in my understanding, it's pretty simple. And the Beatitudes gives us the most clear picture. The kingdom of God seems to be a place or a space or a time or a feeling where the children of God, each and every one without exception, where the children of God are treated and loved well. Where the hierarchies of this world are turned on their head. And the weak and the peacemakers and the merciful are held in the highest esteem. The kingdom of God looks like the world if love, respect, and dignity truly reigned supreme. And this is where we run into the temptation. We're tempted to say, well, that's heaven oh, that that doesn't stand a chance here on earth, that couldn't possibly, no way, Jose. One look at the news would make that far too easy to believe. But that is not how the gospel is supposed to work in our lives. If we throw the kingdom of God into some after-death phenomenon, we have no reason to change our minds We have no reason to change, to reconsider our world and our lives and our minds and our thoughts today. We have no reason to repent, to change directions, to offer more mercy and more grace than there was before. If the kingdom of God is not at hand, there is no point in changing our course with the goal of love in mind. But here's the good news, the gospel for us today, that we will be invited to change course, to seek out and to live out that kingdom a first time, a second time, and a hundredth time. Whether we take it at the first shot like the disciples or it takes us a few times like, you know, Jonah. If we have to go through the ringer and go through a big giant fish, that invitation is still gonna stand for us. God, will not give up on us. No matter how many times we hold fast to our patterns of judgment and destruction and greed, no matter how often we want to push off the kingdom of God to the next person or the next generation or the next thing, that invitation is going to stand. We are never too far away from God's grace, and not a single one of us is a lost cause in the eyes of God. The invitation stands. The kingdom of God is at hand. So our homework this week comes in two parts. Since we had two scriptures to lead us here, it seems only fair. The first is a question for you, the individual. Where is this invitation being leveled for us? Where do I need to change course? Where do I need some personal reorientation to live out God's call for infinite mercy and justice and love? Where does that call come for me? And the second piece, the one that really pulls us towards that kingdom of God thinking is where can the people of Laurel United Methodist Church live out this calling to more love and more justice and more mercy in the community of Laurel, Montana, or Billings, Montana, or Park City, Montana? I'm not picky, neither is Jesus. Where do we see spaces that need the love we can offer? Who needs our help? Who could use an extra helping of mercy or grace in their days? And I want you to follow up with me. Tell me what you think. I want your observations. I want your understanding of our community because this is our calling. As the people of Laurel United Methodist Church, We are called by Christ to offer that kingdom thinking to the world so that we may be the hands and feet of Christ. The kingdom of God is at our hands now. May we repent. May we be the kingdom of God. I pray that these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.